You're listening to a special guest speaker on the Calvary Brighton podcast. I want to start out with a story of a lady named Hetty Green, a very rich woman at the end of her life in 1916, long time ago, 1916, very wealthy woman. She uh, was worth $100 million, $100 million. That's a lot, a lot of money. Uh, some say that she was probably the wealthiest woman uh, of her day when she passed away. Yet, she lived as though she had nothing. People said that she wouldn't turn on the heat in her house because she didn't think that uh, she, uh, uh, she didn't want to spend the money to turn on the heat in the house. She would eat cold oatmeal because she didn't want to heat up water because it was too expensive to do. She wore the same black dress every day until she needed a new one, and then she would go out and get another dress. The same thing over and over again. Listen to this. Her son got a leg injury, and because she had wasted so much time trying to find a free clinic for him to go to, they had to amputate his leg. She had so much. She was rich. She had millions of dollars, and yet she didn't understand what she had. She didn't live it. She didn't use it. She didn't understand that she was rich, at least in the way she was living. Just as Hetty Green knew, uh, just like Hetty Green, we can go through the Christian life this Christian life, not really knowing what we have in Christ. It's sad. You see, Paul the Apostle takes the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and makes us understand our position in Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith, that, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God of our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Church, we are blessed, overly blessed, with every spiritual blessing. To those of us that are in Christ, we've been chosen, chosen by the Father. First, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, predestined and adopted into the family of God, accepted into the beloved, redeemed, meaning bought back. Jesus bought us back when we weren't worthy of being bought back, forgiven and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Guys, we're rich. You think Hetty Green was rich? We're rich, but sometimes we don't live that way. We don't act that way. We don't understand who we are in Christ. And then we don't really understand the position we have that Christ gives us. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians tells us how to walk. It shows us how to walk. It calls us into a walk that Christ wants us to walk out. 
So knowing and understanding who we are in Christ is so important because that should motivate us to then move out and walk in, in uh, our, our Christian life out each and every day. If you don't understand your position in Christ, how can you walk it out? So with that, we're going to look at verse 1 of chapter 4. So would you look with me at verse 1 of chapter 4 uh, as we look through these first 16 verses this morning. It says, I therefore, Paul is talking about himself. He's saying, I therefore, therefore, all the things that I've said in verses, in chapters 1 through 3, all those things, because of that, therefore, as the prisoner of God, I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. My first point this morning is this, if you're taking notes, walk worthy. Walk worthy. Have you noticed that everyone has their own walk? I mean, just kind of the way they walk and, you know, it's, it's funny. Uh, sometimes I like to watch fathers and sons walk next to each other because they a lot of them have the same exact identical walk as their dad. It's interesting uh, to, to note. But let me ask you a question. What kind of walk do you have? Now, not a physical walk, but like a spiritual walk. What kind of walk do you have? Does your walk reflect who you are? Don't you think about that for a second. Does your walk reflect who you are and what God has said that you are. Children of the Most High God. Paul, Paul's words here ring out with authority because he's living it out. Paul's saying, walk worthy, yet he's in prison. Paul's in prison writing this letter, letter because he surrendered everything to Jesus. He surrendered his life his future, everything that Paul lived for was Jesus. Paul was living out what he was teaching. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And, I, and then he goes on and says, in light of that example, I urge you, I exhort you, I beg you, I walk worthy of the calling of which you've been called. Paul begs, us to walk a walk that's worthy of the calling. So how are you walking this morning? How are you walking out your Christian life? If someone were to, to grade your walk, what would they give you? Now, our, our calling has been given to us in the first three chapters of Ephesians. We're called to adoption, into adoption. We're called to be heirs with Christ. We're called to salvation in Christ. He's called us and given us salvation, and then we're called to sonship. We, if we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God, Christians. We sing it, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. But do we really understand the benefits or the reality of what that is, what it means, what, what God wants of us? 
what we get in return and how we should live because of it. So Paul is saying, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling. That title, walk worthy of the title that you carry. You know, my daughters, they carry my name. I have four daughters and they carry the Rafferty name until they get married. And, and I hope that they carry my name well. You know what I mean? Like that name, it means something. Rafferty. I hope that they would carry that name well, but you carry a greater name than that. You carry Christ's name. You're his son and his daughter. And so as you walk this Christian life, are we carrying the name well? The Greek word worthy is axios, which means equal weight. It's the idea of, of a balancing scale, both sides weighing the same. Have you ever heard of an employer uh, saying, that worker is worthy of his wage? Meaning the work that that person does is worth the pay that he's giving. It's the same idea, meaning one's calling should match his conduct. Our behavior should match our identity. Amen? Our conduct should match the title that we carry, Christian. I can, I can tell you that I'm a Christian all day long, but until I show you that I'm a Christian, my words mean nothing, right? Colossians 2.6 says this, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus... So walk in him. To make my point even clearer, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 16. 1 John chapter 1, verse 16, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, fellowship with the Lord, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2.6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. We have an example of what to walk in, how to walk, and that's Jesus. Paul is saying your actions, your life, what people see every day going home in your workplace, the way you, the way you do life after church today when you go to the restaurant. By the way, you guys have some of the best Mexican restaurants here in, in Brighton. I, I got to tell you, like I, last night, I, I, did, I couldn't choose from so many. There were so many. I was like driving down, down the main street and I'm thinking, I've got like 20 incredible Mexican restaurants right here and I don't know which one to pick. So after service, please tell me which one to go, 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 go to next. Um, but man, like God is calling us. Our actions must reflect our, our identity. 
Is your actions, are your actions, the way you live your life, is it, being, is it reflecting your identity, Christian, son or daughter of the true and living God? He's saying walk worthy, walk worthy of that calling. Did you know that, that the word Christian really means little Christ? It means that we are little Christ's doing and saying what Christ would say and do. I have four daughters, and my daughters, when they were little, they would love to put on daddy's shoes. And they would walk around in the house, just kind of walking around with, my, with, with their dad's shoes on. Why? Because they wanted to step into dad's shoes and walk what dad was walking. It's kind of scary to think about my daughter's actually walking what I've walked. They're them to do and say what I say. And I, I, I know that I'm not perfect and I've failed them in some ways and, and I point them to Jesus, but I hope that my life has been an example in a reflection of the identity that I live out in Jesus. If you were to poll the, the, the body of Christ here in America and ask them if they're a Christian, I would say about 90, this is my guess, but 90% of the church today would say, hey, I'm a Christian. The people that go to church every Sunday, that go and they, they, they go to church. How many of you are Christians? 90% of them would say they're Christians. And yet, a lot of them, their walks don't reflect that title. My question to you is, is, is your walk reflect the title? Are you just coming in here to, to, to just appease something in your life, to, to just make make goods of something that, that's not been good in your life, and so you're here to, to try to say, God, you know, I've done my peace, and so I'm going to go out now after this and do kind of do whatever I want. I hope that that's not reality for you. You see, if we're not walking worthy of the title that God's given us, guess what? That's hypocritical then we're hypocrites. And we don't want the church to be that. This is God's family. This is, this is of course, we're not perfect and we're all gonna sin. But man, we gotta try. We gotta walk worthy because of who we are, because of what he's done, because of the benefits, the riches that he's given us in verses, in chapters one through three. So, so let's begin to walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Number two, my second point is walk in humility. As you walk, your, your walk in your calling and you walk worthy, walk in humility. Paul begins to point out how we should walk 
We should walk with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. Why is he pointing this out to the Ephesian church? Because the Ephesian church was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles, guys, and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. I just, was, I just came from um, Israel a couple weeks ago, and as I was there, it's my first time in Israel, and I'm watching the Jews, like, they're, 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 they're bustling, going through Jerusalem, and, and, and you, you see these Jews, and really, they don't associate with anybody else. You watch them, and they do what they do, and they congregate with themselves. They don't congregate with other people other than Jews. It's interesting to watch them, especially devout Jews. And that's what was happening here in, in, in the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church was, was uh, there, there were people getting saved inside the, the, the city of Ephesus. Gentile, Gentile, new Gentile believers that are coming to know Christ. And we, we look at the book of Acts and we know that they were burning their, their magic, magic books and they were, they were uh, getting saved and there was revival happening in, in, the, in the, the church of Ephesus. And Paul spends his two years of his life teaching these, uh, these people. And yet, there, was a Jew, there were Jews there too. And these Jews were just like, oh man, I can't, I can't do, deal with this. And, and, and Paul is challenging them. Hey guys, we need to walk in unity. We need to walk in humility with one another. And if we do that, we're going to see that God and his church it flourishes in the midst of it. Well, the focus in these verses is to walk with one another in humility Church, do you know that you don't walk alone? You don't walk alone. You walk with others. And when we walk with others, it gets messy, doesn't it? We rub shoulders with people, and, and they might have, you know, uh, a little sharp edge on them that, that pokes us. Um, we got to be careful that we start to come alongside them in a, in a way that serves them, that says, hey, I'm not better than you, but I'm underneath you. Walking in such a way that you're helping those that you're around instead of hindering them uh, from where they're supposed to go. That demonstrates humility. A person who has understood who they are in Christ that their righteousness comes from Christ alone, that person naturally begins to walk in humility and gentleness, understanding that they, ha they, they have done nothing to get where they are. It is because of Jesus Christ alone that you are where you are. I remember this uh, big biker dude that would come to church and he, you know, he would wear black leather. He was just muscular and just a big dude. He would ride in on his Harley. And, he, I mean, from a distance, he's intimidating. Like, he was like, 
super intimidating, and, and yet Christ got a hold of his life and transformed his life, and he knew who he was before Christ. Wretched, sinner, living for the world, and then Christ found him. And it was by the grace of God that he was saved. And if you got close to him, the closer you got, the more tender you felt as you got close to him. He was a big teddy bear. He loved people with Christ's love. He, he was gracious and loving and caring, transformed life. He made impact wherever he went. You know why? Because he was living out, he was walking out his calling that God had called him to, a transformed life. Paul says, walk with complete humility and gentleness. The word humility really actually means to be, to be brought down low. It's the idea of an under rower Someone, uh, back in the day, they would have under rowers in, in the boats that would go across the sea because they didn't have uh, motors. And so they would, they would have these rowers that would have to row underneath the boat. And it's the idea of taking that position, an under rower. In the city of Ephesus, the Greeks looked down upon those that exemplified humility only people that would practice humility would be, uh, th th those that would practice humility would be slaves. But Paul here is saying humility must be exemplified in the believer's life. Being brought down low, thinking of others better than yourself. Jesus was the ultimate example of humility. Second, we must walk in gentleness. That doesn't mean weakness, guys. It doesn't mean weakness. In fact, the Greek word means power under control. Power under control. It's the, it's the idea of a picture of a, a strong stallion, a strong horse. You've seen stallions before. They're just massive and so powerful, the power of a horse is incredible. It can crush a person in just a second, and yet we have humans that ride them all the time. Why? Why would someone get on a, a something like that? An animal that can crush you in just a moment. Why? Because the horse has been broken. The horse is submitted to its master. That's power under control. Again, it's part of the horse's character, exemplifying gentleness. How gentle are you at home? Mothers with your kids, how gentle are you? Husbands with your wives, how about you with your friends? How gentle are you with your words? That's how we demonstrate our walk. Christ wants us to walk it out in gentleness. Next part of this verse is with patience. Literally means to a patient endurance, a patient endurance, long-suffering in 
preferring others over yourself in love. Now, guys, that's not easy. How many of you like to prefer others better than yourself? Not an easy thing. But when we do it, there's, be there, there's beauty in, in the action of preferring. When you prefer someone else, they're lifted up and they feel special and you get to then walk alongside them as they feel special. God is saying there's something powerful and beautiful when you prefer someone other than yourself. This is the character that I'm hoping for my students hoping for our students that we pray that we, and we preach to them that they would endure long-suffering and, and endure and be gentle with one another and be humble uh, before one another. It's that moment, you know, you know those moments where you feel like exploding with unkind words and instead you endure and you say nothing? That's preferring someone. You see, God is slow to anger, isn't he? He's slow to anger with us. He suffers long with us. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let's move on and look at this next part of this verse. It says, Showing forbearance to one another in love. This is putting up with that, that nagging person, that personality that you just can't get along with. It's putting up with them, forbearing, and, uh, uh, and bearing each other's burdens. Those, that's, that's not easy, guys. A lot of people uh, uh, bother us in this life, right? And that usually what we do is we we work our way away from them instead of getting closer to them. Isn't that true? Someone that bothers us or annoys us, we, we go, oh, there's so-and-so. I'm going to go over here and get away. And yet, God is wanting us to draw close because God is wanting to do something in your life through that person's life so that when you walk in love for a bearing their burdens and walking with them in love that God's going to then shape you. Let me challenge you. Come closer to those that you just don't like as much and see what God may do as you love them. When we walk in the Spirit and we're led by the Spirit, we will long suffer naturally with people. When you wake up in the morning, I don't know if you do this, but I would encourage you to say, God, hey, Holy Spirit, take control today. Take your place in my life today. Lead me to where you want to go, where you want me to go, who you want me to speak to, how you want me to act. God, I give you my life, just as Paul was in this prison. He's, he's saying, Lord, use me in this place. And he begins to pin these letters to encourage churches because of, why? Because the Holy Spirit is moving. 
He's submitted to the Holy Spirit in his life. Oh, how we need to apply these things in our lives. Amen? We need to apply these things. You know what's sad is we come into church and we go, hey, that guy's in my chair. That's where I usually sit. Or you go out to the coffee and you go to get coffee and, and there's none left. And you're like, hey, that guy just took the last cup. And you, you start to think about, about them in, in a way that, that, that is not good. Or, or someone, you come into the parking lot and someone takes two spaces because they didn't park very well. And yet, and you go, gosh, now I gotta go down to the end and I gotta park at the end. And, and we begin to have these thoughts toward people. And, and, and uh, guys, church, let's be honest, this is us sometimes. Scary. And yet, we think it's all about us. I, that's my chair and my coffee and my spot. And, and instead of, God, what do you want? How can I serve? How can I lay my life down? How can I be an example? How can I be a blessing to those that I encounter? How often are those the thoughts of our own self? Verse 3. Enduring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace, pursuing and preserving unity through peace. You know, Jesus is about unity. God wants unity in his body. And yet, guys, look around. We're so diverse. Look at, look at I don't know how God puts a group of people like this together. Like, the only reason why we're all sitting here is because of Jesus, honestly. And so, remember that. God wants us to walk in unity. So my third point is walk in unity. Walk in unity. You see, the whole point Paul is making is that we must be able to walk in peace and unity with each other. Not fighting, not competing, but complementing one, one another in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we're not competitors, we're co-laborers. We're co-laborers working with each other. Verse four, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Again, Paul is saying, in Christ, we're all one. We are one body, a family of believers, and there is one Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit that breathes life into the church, you and I. There is one hope in our calling. We are all moving toward one hope to see Jesus face to face one day, and we are going to be there soon, my friends. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is our master. He is our leader, our Lord, our King, and he is the one we follow, I hope. There's one faith, and that faith is the entrance into heaven. It's the entrance into the kingdom. Our faith is what keeps us 
guides us and strengthens us. There is one baptism, one Father. He is the Father of all. There is one God, the Trinity. Three distinct persons, but one God showing us perfect unity. What an example of what we should be. One God. God is one, and we are to be one as well. You know, putting 16 students in a house is not smart. We, we, we all live together in one house in Colorado Springs. 16 students. Can you imagine all the things that happen in that house? All, you know, young people. And yet, we have to be one. We have to walk in unity. We have to die to ourselves. We have to show people, prefer each other, be, walk in humility. All those things happen together in doing life together. It's an incredible thing to watch. Oh, it's not easy. And sometimes I want to pull my hair out with them. But in the end, as they understand the truth and the word, man, their lives are transformed. Let's continue on in verse 7. But each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Gifts to men. Now, this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Although there is unity within the body of Christ, there also is diversity. We're all unified in Christ and because of Christ, but there are differences. There's differences inside the body. We look around this room, we see the differences in front of us. Differences of gifts, differences of ministries, differences of things that God calls us to do. And in our physical bodies, we see the same thing. Our hand doesn't do the same thing our eye does. The eye doesn't do the same thing as our brain. They're, they're all different functioning parts, but all functioning together to accomplish what Christ or what Christ wants us to do. The same is true in the body of Christ. Each part of the body functions in a unique way according to the gifts which God has given. In verse 8, this is a reference. In verse 8, this is a reference to the death and burial of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of prophecy in actually in, from, from Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. It says this in verse 40. It says, Now as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Huh. Interesting. Where is the heart of the earth at? Meaning, during those three days that Jesus' body laid in the tomb before he ascended to heaven, I believe he descended into Hades to Abraham's bosom. 
How many of you have heard of Abraham's bosom? Okay. Some of you are like, what? What's going on here? Okay. Abraham's bosom was where all the Old Testament believers were held until Christ's crucifixion was finished and he rose again. And, and you see, all the Old Testament believers who died before Christ's crucifixion were taken to Abraham's bosom and they were held there, which is next to Hades. We learned that from another story uh, in Luke. It wasn't until Jesus died and descended to Abraham's bosom that he set the captives free and led the Old Testament believers to heaven because he had conquered death and sin. And now today, they are with, with the Lord in heaven. So, so just a little bit of help there in understanding what some of these verses were saying. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the, to work the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ till all come to the uni unity of the faith and of all the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, these are... Um, these are gifts, uh, ministry gifts that God gives us. My fourth point is walk as one body. Walk as one body. These verses, uh, it, these verses, it, it's a list of, of a number of verses, a number of gifts given to us here in this section. Yet, uh, we also understand that there's a bunch of, uh, uh, there's a couple other sections of scripture that talk about gifts. And, and so that we don't get them all confused, I want to kind of help you understand this for a second. There's a, there's, a, there's a list of gifts in Romans chapter 12. You can read this on your own at another time. Uh, there's also a, a, a set of gifts uh, spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then there's these gifts in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I give them titles. I, I call the, the gifts in, in Romans chapter 12 the motivational gifts. I believe those are gifts that God gives each one of us, one of those or one or more of those gifts, when we become a Christian. When we accept Christ, he gifts us with those gifts. The, the set of the list of gifts in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those are manifestational gifts those are gifts that God manifests in our life on a daily basis. They're not given to you. They're manifested when Christ wants to manifest them in your life. That's, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm getting really into a, 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 some deep stuff here. And then this last one is a, a set of gifts, uh, and I call them uh, ministerial gifts. And God also at times gifts us ministry gifts to where we can move out in ministry underneath these giftings. And so we're going to look at these really quick in uh, uh, looking at verse 11 again. It says, uh, 
First is the apostle. This is a governing ministry, uh, referring to those who are sent out as a spiritual authority to start a new ministry or church. Uh, a lot of times, uh, God uses uh, uh, those that are sent out or um, missionaries or those to go work, start a new work or plant a new work uh, are apostles or they're, they're working under the ministry of apostle. Now, we don't carry those titles today. I wouldn't say that I'm Apostle Sean, but I'm working under the ministry of apostleship to go out and do that work. Next is prophet. This is a guiding ministry referring to those who speak the word of God in the spirit. The prophet ministry is usually heavy on guiding and speaking, usually using the word of God to direct and speak forth the, the word of God. Next is evangelist, who this is a, a gathering ministry referring to those who bring people into the kingdom. They are the ones that kind of gather and God uses them to uniquely uh, share the gospel. And, uh, and they, they're the ones that are inviting and bringing people to Jesus. Next is pastors. This is a guarding ministry, referring to those who protect the flock from wolves, wolves coming in and trying to uh, take, take them out, take out the sheep. Pastor's ministry is to care uh, of the needs, take care of the needs of the church. And lastly is teachers. This is a feeding ministry, referring to those who feed the sheep and making sure that the sheep are eating well. Um, these, each, each of these ministry gifts are given to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. You see, the church is to be a place where we're getting trained up, equipped to go out to do the work of the ministry, to go beyond these doors, to be go, go beyond these walls, and to go out into the world. Ministry doesn't it isn't about coming to church and doing ministry here. Really, ministry is about doing work, the ministry outside these doors. Our goal is to be like Jesus, right? Our hope, I, I hope that our goal is to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't spend his life hanging out in the temple being religious. No, he was out among the people he was outside the temple, impacting the world, speaking truth and love. And that's our goal. That's our hope. Verse 14, and uh, as we finish out these verses for today, 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what, ev by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share." 
causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, that was a lot of words. But let me say what, it, what it's trying to say. My, my last point is this. Walk in maturity. If you're taking notes, walk in maturity. Walk in maturity. You see, Paul is saying, hey, guys, don't be a, an adult child anymore. Don't. How many of you like adult children? Like, no one. No one likes an, a, a, an adult that acts like a kid and is not grown up and has not matured. It's just in the same state as they are. They're 40 years old, but still in, still in this like teenage cycle. Like, who likes that person? No one. Right? And yet, let me be honest, a lot of us have been in church for many, many years, and we are not maturing. We haven't become mature. We're in the same cycle as we were 20 years ago. We haven't grown. We haven't matured. We haven't become closer to Jesus. We just know the Bible a little bit better because you got a good pastor and you got a good teacher. But your life may look exactly the same as it did before. Church, that shouldn't be so. If that's you, man, don't let that happen anymore. Don't let that be the reality of your life. He's saying, no longer be children tossed to and fro. Just a couple, uh, about three weeks ago, I was in Costa Rica and I was able to go out uh, on, uh, on some waves. I, I, I like to surf when I get a chance. And um, I was able to go out and surf a couple mornings in Costa Rica. And one of the things that I love about getting out on the water is just being out there beyond the sets, beyond the break, and just, just be in the water where the waves are swelling. But the day that I, the, the second day I went out, the waves were really big. And I was trying to get out, and I was just getting pounded and pounded, and just finally got beyond the break, and I was just worn out just trying to get paddle out there. And finally got out there, and I caught a wave, didn't catch it very well, and I fell, wiped out, and that wave took me for a ride. And I was tossed to and fro, and I didn't know which way was up, and if you're not a good swimmer in those situations, you can, you can, you can die. Um, that's what he's talking about here. Don't be the one that gets tossed to and fro and you're, you're every wind of doctrine, you're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And oh yeah, that sounds good. And you're just, just being tossed around by the world. Hey guys, the world is tossing us around. It will toss you around. Social media and everything out there will toss you around unless you know what you believe. Do you know what you believe? Are you mature? And are you maturing? That's what this is saying. So that you can speak the truth in love when it comes to that moment. When people need you to stand up, you speak it with truth.
as we close, I want to challenge you with this. To fulfill your function, your role that God has gifted you to do. You're all called. It's not just me. It's not just Pastor Paul. It's not all these other things, uh, these other leaders. No, you're called. You're called to step into God's calling on your life. Are you walking it well? Are you walking it well? And if you're not, let me encourage you to start today because you're rich. You're rich in Christ. And because of those riches, please don't squander what you've been given. Don't squander the good benefits and beauty of what you have in Jesus. And as you understand that, begin to walk it out in humility, walk worthy, walk in uh, unity, and walk in maturity. And if we do that, God's going to do some great things in your life, in my life, and we're going to see the effect not only in my own family, in our own sphere of influence, but in Brighton, in the world where God takes us to affect people's lives. Amen? So with that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word. It gives us direction and peace and purpose. And Lord, so, much, so many of us get off track. We lose sight of what we're called to do because there's so many things that want our attention. Lord, this morning, may we not be the one that is distracted. But Lord, would you use us in your hands? Would you equip us? Would you uh, challenge us uh, to be more like your son? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we understand the riches that we have in you, that that would motivate us to walk in such a way that honors you from this day forward, that we would never go back to the old life. And so, Lord, we give you today. We give you our lives. Lord, I pray for each one in this room, Lord, that you would strengthen them to walk closer, to walk more mature in in their walk with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.